good to see you, masked and all. Um, thank you for joining us today, and we trust that you'll feel safe and comfortable and right at home, though this is a very unusual context for us with uh, our seating arrangement and pathways that we've created for uh, making our way through our building and endeavoring to be as uh, safe and sanitized as possible. And as we exit today, we will exit out these doors uh, off the auditorium to, again, just avoid as much cross-traffic. For your giving and your tithes and offering, thank you so much for your faithfulness during these unusual days. Many of you have had to learn the curve of giving online and electronically, and uh, many uh, that I've talked to have expressed that you're just going to continue doing it that way, and, and do you, you know what? That's really the best way. Um, we do have our debit set up today, uh, so we, we, you can use debit or credit to give today if you wish, um, and we will anoint you with sanitization uh, before and after. <laughs> We've, we've, we've taken on a new dimension to the uh, anointing here. It's not just with oil anymore. It's with 100% uh, proof sanitization uh, spray as well. So, but if you are giving online, if you're, if you're doing e-transfers with us, um, just continue doing that. I really encourage that more than anything. Uh, some of you have been mailing your, your giving in, and that's perfectly acceptable. Um, some of you have been dropping by the office to deliver it personally, and that's fine as well. The office is open uh, for you to do that. Uh, but just continue to, to be safe and well. And as we start to reopen as a province, uh, even in your visiting with one another, I, I'm, I, I rejoice in seeing those of you that have been just kind of in your driveways or at the park or whatever the case might be. Um, endeavoring to reach out to people, and, uh, and that's wonderful. Uh, just continue to be safe and conscientious as you, as you do that, as we endeavor to abide by our provincial uh, directions. So grateful for uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry and our team of medical leaders. Yeah? We need to continue to keep them in your prayers. Um, of course... Uh, you know, in a leadership role, you're always up to be scrutinized and criticized. Um, and uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry has certainly dealt with that, but she has done an exceptional job, and we need to be grateful for the leadership and the servanthood that she has expressed in these days, along with the many that work with her. She, of course, doesn't do that single-handedly, but she has a team. And uh, we want to continue to remember all of our leaders in prayer uh, in that way. I want to just in these days, uh, you know, when, when I was thinking about coming back together, as I have been thinking about that from the very onset of this, um, I, I, I initially thought we would just resume our current series, which has been Jonah, and we will get back to that. I haven't forgotten that, but I thought uh, that uh, we, we can't just go through these days and and not acknowledge together what we've been dealing with. Um, and so I've been quite impressed to just take some time in these initial weeks anyway of regathering, God willing, 
as we continue to regather, um, to just reflect together on these things, being the people of God in this pandemic. How are we to, to deal with this? And so we're going to look at that. Psalm 44, verses 23 and 26 are our key text today. But I want to read um, just verses 23 to, through to 26 to kind of set the table for us in these reflections that we share together over these weeks. The psalmist, the, the poet, writes in Psalm 44, verse 23 to 26, Awake, awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. The, the psalmist, the poet, knows here that God looks after his people. He's not doubting that. He's not questioning that. He knows that. He looks after his people even in the midst of truly horrible things. Like these days we have been experiencing. So, as the people of God, how do we get a hold of this for ourselves? How do we get a hold of who we are supposed to be, how we are supposed to walk through these days? What does it look like for us here today in the midst of this horrible thing that we are going through uh, as this global pandemic has been facing us and us facing? How do we do that as the people of God? Do we just reflect the same attitudes and disposition of the world? How are we supposed to walk through this? Where do we begin? It sounds like one of those Greek irregular verbs, doesn't it? Panic, pandemic, pangolin, pandemonium. Instead, it turns out to be an irregular virus. It happened before. How many remember SARS? 2003. This was worrisome for a time, but we got over it. Uh, especially if you lived here on the West Coast, it, it didn't touch you uh, necessarily as closely as it did those who were living more in, in uh, Central East, we call it the East, but it's really Central Canada. In, in a, we were living in, in the Toronto area at the time, and, you know, it was, it was worrisome for a time, but we got over it. Gloomy forecasts of millions of deaths turned out to be exaggerated. Surely... This, now, what we're experiencing now, would be the same. So was the general train of our thought with our initial reaction to the coronavirus. First it hit China, but, you know, China's far away and strange things have been historically known to occur there, like eating pangolins. Pangolins, what are they? Or... Tanglings for my Malay friends. 
or tranglings for my Indonesia friends or golings for my Filipino friends. They are scale-covered ant-eating mammals, for those of you who are wondering what they are. So strange things have been known to happen in China, and it's far away, and, but then it hit Iran. But we didn't worry so much because Iran, too, is far away, and anyway, it's such a very different place. But then it struck Italy. But we thought, well, you know, the Italians are very sociable, tactile, very affectionate people. So, of course, it will spread there, but we'll be all right. Anthony, we know how this began to move its way. And then it arrived in Toronto, and then London, and then New York, and then... Washington State, south of us, and then, of course, Vancouver. And suddenly, there was no safe space on the planet. No neutral zone. No medical equivalent of wartime Switzerland where you could escape for a while and relax and ponder what ought to be done. So we have wondered, haven't we? Does anybody know what's going on? I think probably all of us in the room, if we were honest, we would confess that through this, we have cycled through just about every emotion that you can experience. Why is this happening? Is someone trying to tell us something? What are we supposed to do about it? In most of the ancient world, and many parts of the modern world as well, major disasters, earthquakes, volcanoes, fires, plagues, are regularly associated with angry gods. Something bad has happened. Must be because someone has it in for you. In the old pagan world of Greece and Rome, the assumption was that you hadn't offered the right sacrifices or you hadn't said the right prayers or you did something so dreadful that even the old amoral gods on Mount Olympus felt it was time to crack down on you. The high-minded philosophers didn't think much of that. So what they did is they came up with alternatives. Three alternatives, in fact. First, there were the Stoics. Everything is programmed to turn out the way it does. You can't change it. Just learn to fit in and live with it. No emotional response. Just fit in and live with it. Alternatively, there were the Epicureans. The Epicureans said, everything is arbitrary. It's random. It's aimless. You can't do anything about it. Make yourself as comfortable as you can. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. <laughs> the Epicureans. Then there were the Platonists. Plato, remember him? The present 
life is just a shadow of reality. Bad things happen here, but we are destined for a different world. Plato. Beloved, we have our modern equivalents of these philosophies today, don't we? Some just want to, you know, like the Stoics, tough it out. If the bullet's got your name on it, so be it. Most of the modern world is implicitly Epicurean. Stuff happens, but we want to scramble for comfort, so settle down, self-isolate, plenty of Netflix, we'll be okay. This too will pass. Some, including some Christ followers, opt for Plato. Plato became a popular and is a popular individual for us. Death isn't the worst thing that can happen. We're heading somewhere else anyway. Our sweet by-and-by -by heavenly home. All right, let's be sensible, but please don't shut down the churches or the golf clubs or the beaches. Meanwhile, in the refugee camps, the multi-story tower blocks in the slums and in the souks of Africa, in nursing and retirement homes, in penitentiaries, as we all know, the suffering gets worse. And the sorrow rises from the whole world like a blanket of smoke, shaping the question we hardly dare ask. Why? With that, it's been amazing to see the response to perhaps a better question. The question, what? What can we do to help? So incredible and commendable it has been, hasn't it? To see the willingness and the commitment of essential workers in our fields of health care and first responders and commitment of these essential workers in our child care fields, in our grocery stores. Retired doctors and nurses have come back out of retirement to the front line. Some have themselves caught the virus. Some have died. Incredible. Do you know that they have actually been doing what the early followers of Christ did? in times of plague? Have you thought about this? In the first few centuries of our, area, our, our era, rather, when serious sickness would strike a town or a city, the well-to-do would run for the hills. And the reason, part of the reason they would do this is because the problem was often low-lying, fetid, stench-filled air in town. So they'd go to higher ground where the air was clearer and fresher. But the Christians, the Christ followers, would stay and nurse people. Sometimes they caught the disease and died. People were astonished. What was that all about? Oh, they replied, we are followers of this man Jesus, the anointed one. He put his life on the line to save us, so that's what we do as well. Wow, nobody ever thought of doing that kind of thing before. 
No wonder the gospel spread like wildfire, even when the Romans were doing their best to stamp it out. The fascinating thing is that much of the world has picked up the hint. As the historian Tom Holland has argued in his recent book entitled Dominion, much of what we take for granted today in social attitudes has now been the outcome of Christian innovation. We don't realize that. It's been detached from its root system in Christian history. But the fruit of what we see practiced by some in the world today finds its roots actually in that birthing of the Christian movement. The ancient pagans didn't do it like that. Medicine cost money. So did education. And the poor were poor, so people assumed, because they were lazy or unlucky. It wasn't society's job to look after them. But the Christ followers of the early church disagreed with this notion. They picked up their rule of life from the Jews via Jesus, of course. The Jews had those texts, those scriptures, which kept on circling back to the belief that there was one God who had a special concern for the poor and the sick and the orphan and the widow and the outcast, the slaves, the homeless, the refugee, the immigrant. Their thinkers sometimes flirted with bits of Stoicism or Platonism. Never Epicureanism, though. That was a dirty word to them, and it still is. But nonetheless, here's the point. Their communities, by and large, practiced a kind of extended communal life. The early Jesus followers got a hold of that but extended it to the increasing and increasingly diverse family of believers. And then, long story short, the modern world touchingly has borrowed bits and pieces of it. Medicine, education, social care for all. All of these things originated in the root system of the Christian church. And sometimes the world thinks that they have discovered this for itself. So the religious bit can now, you know, be dropped away. And some have argued this enthusiastically. So all of that said, given our history and our ancestors in the faith, where do we begin right here now where we are in the midst of these days of pandemic? How, to, how do we, with integrity and sincerity and fervency, be the people of God in this pandemic? What is 
a Christian response. What does it look like today? Faced with the rapid spread of the coronavirus, many people have reached for the Christian equivalence of the ancient automatic knee-jerk, you know, unthinking, out-of-hand kind of reactions. We've all, no doubt, heard some of them or witnessed some of them or maybe even held some of them ourselves. You know, the world is full of conspiracy theories anyway, right? Some think it's all China's fault. Some have said it's all America's fault. Conspiracies abound, thousands of other ideas running around, spreading themselves as easily as the virus itself, and some ways just as dangerously. And shame on us, really, the people of God, for how gullibly quick we have bought into and perhaps even helped spread some of these ideas. How many know the blame game is easy? Yeah, it has been from the very beginning. Genesis began with Adam and Eve, right? You know, she made me do it. She pointed to the snake. The snake made me do it. The blame game is easy, and it's been going on for, for, for millennia, especially uh, when it's always someone else's fault. Those who have become accustomed to seeing all issues in terms of today's low-grade but powerful culture wars will simply go for easy answers that reflect the irrelevant standoff between us and them. The extremists, you know, those crazy communists versus those uh, radical uh, movement leaders. We, we fall into that. And the COVID-19 crisis has, in fact, done to the whole world what Hurricane Katrina did in 2005 for New Orleans. In its devastating impact, it shows that the political and social timbers have already been rotting away well before this catastrophe hit. These crises this pandemic that we're going through right now simply is a culminating tipping point. And then, of course, we're all familiar with the fact that there are specifically would-be Christian conspiracy theories. And Lord have mercy on us for these because we often so easily and quickly and gullibly get sucked into this. Some people arrogantly and ignorantly think they know exactly what's gone wrong, who is to blame, and what God is trying to say through it. Some are saying with religious zeal that this is a sign of the end. The end times industry has been a massive business in North America over the last couple of generations. Spin-off versions are popular in most other countries, too. We're not alone. Some, some highlights include Hal Lindsey's famous book, The Late Great Planet Earth. You may remember that. More recently, the Left Behind series by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. And what these things do is they construct 
horror movie-like scenarios out of bits and pieces of the Bible, loosely strung together with a string of fundamentalist piety. It's basically platonic. It's Plato again coming through. Going to heaven is the aim, indifferently leaving the world behind to its Armageddon, and now the coronavirus is hailed as the sign that it's all about to happen. For other Christ followers, they, 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 this is simply a way of saying, this is a moment of opportunity. Now that everybody is thinking about death rather than wondering which cupcake to buy, perhaps there will be a massive turning to God. Perhaps we can use this moment and take advantage of it to tell our friends about Jesus and how he can take them to heaven. Perhaps this time they'll listen now that this pandemic has put a scare into them. Others quote the Old Testament prophets in order to produce a version of what are actually ancient pagan theories. When bad things happen, it must be God that's done it. Because after all, he's responsible for everything. So that must mean that he's angry with us for some reason. The prophet Amos comes to mind. Does disaster befall a city, he asked, unless the Lord has done it? So famine, blight, pestilence, all of them were meant to lead God's people to repent of their evil ways. That's how we translate that. But it didn't work. So now even worse things will happen. Again, that's our platonic translation. Many of the other prophets would have agreed. Some today are eagerly jumping on this bandwagon. We see it on the internet and television and even maybe in our neighbors around us. This bandwagon in order to vilify pet hates. It's all the fault of those other people of whose culture and lifestyles we disapprove. So, loved ones, where do we begin? That's the question we're asking this morning in this reflection. And I want to propose that the place to begin for us is with the Old Testament. And that's where some of the apparently key texts can be found that are often misunderstood and misinterpreted, just as I quoted Amos to us a moment ago. They raise big questions for us of interpretation and application. Can we make a straight transfer from Amos to today, or at least a dynamic equivalent analogy from what some wonderful but scary people said in the 8th century B.C. to our muddled and frightened world in the 21st century A.D.? The place to begin is unfolding and laying hold of a solid, sturdy interpretation of these texts accompanied by a life-giving application. And this is our objective in these next few weeks as we regather to begin to look at some of these passages that are often misconstrued and misinterpreted and translated in misguided ways and lead us to take on attitudes and dispositions and mentalities and worldviews that are not fitting with what it means to truly be the people of God. Not fitting with the heart of God. We want to look at these together.